I don't know. Um, and John, but he's isolated. He has questions. Uh, he went from ground level being with Jesus, witnessing him, um, hearing him with the calling that God had placed on his life, kind of operating with him for a short time. But now he doesn't know what's going on. And so calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? So this isn't the question we'd expect to see from John the Baptist who was heartily saying, this is the one, this is the guy. His whole role in, uh, uh, in, in the kingdom was saying him, this guy, this is the one. So it's like, he's, we see him maybe having a little bit of crisis of faith here. What's going on? Um, are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, in that hour, when the Bible says in that hour, it doesn't mean a literal hour, it just means as it was happening, or right then, or this is what they were doing um, currently. This is in this hour where sitting in the sanctuary, so opening the word of God. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues. I don't know what the difference between a disease and a plague is. I don't know if a plague is like a disease on steroids or it's pretty bad. It's, it's a little buffer than a disease, I guess. Um, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Uh, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So, Luke tells us that and then says this. And he, Jesus, answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, as we saw last week. The poor have good news preached to them. So, what Jesus is actively doing, and, and the very message, excuse me, that he tells John's disciples to take back to John, is he, Jesus, is doing the works of the Messiah. He's essentially saying he is the guy. He doesn't rebuke John for having doubts. Doubts are part of it. I question my calling weekly, sometimes hour by hour. Uh, doubts are some of the greatest strengtheners of our faith. God used the completely, he uses the other end of the spectrum to help the other side of the spectrum. It's amazing how he does that. Um, and so, but there's a lot in this. There's the, we, we read over this, but there's a lot in what we just read that, we, that you just kind of read over. All right, so John being in prison, it's not making sense to him. He was the forerunner for Christ. He, he was the great voice in the wilderness, set apart for this, before birth set apart for this. And so he has questions. He's got, what's going on out there? Like his purpose is in jeopardy. Now he's caged up. So what's my purpose now? So look, Jesus told him, and when he tells him this, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, which John well knows, from Isaiah 29 and 35, which are talking about um, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. And Jesus is, see, in Luke, I want us to see this. Remember when we were, uh, well, this is two months ago at this point, maybe longer than that, when Jesus first started his ministry. He came and he opens up the school of Isaiah 61, and we know that the, the Old Testament had uh, laid out what it was going to look like when the Messiah came, about the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the good news have, or the, the poor have good news preached to them. And so John is waiting for that one line out of all the things that the Messiah was going to say. 
And he told them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, deaf, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And then he cuts it right there. And John doesn't hear what he wants to hear. Instead he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As if to tell John, who's in prison and waiting for Jesus to get to that line. So John's encouraged, thinking, I'm going to get out of here because what else does Jesus say? What else is the Messiah going to do? He'll free the captives. The prisoners will be set free. But he doesn't tell, John to tell, but he doesn't tell John's disciples to tell John that. He leaves it out as if to say, and this is my will for your life. It's time for you to die. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That's the one who is so just locked into Christ by faith that fine, if it's my time, I'll go. And the whole verse, what do we know from John, uh, Apostle John? John 3.30, at the beginning of the ministry before John's locked up. He when John's disciples are going after him, and they're like, aren't you jealous? Like, they're, they're going after him. It's like, no, that's the whole point. Go, you should go too. <laughs> He's saying, he must become less and less, and Jesus more and more. In John 30, uh, 3, verse 30, John 3, 30, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. That's a huge, that's a incredibly humble thing. This is my will for your life. And I, I was thinking about Jeremiah. Um, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah right now. Um, have been for a while. It's kind of taking my time in there. And there's like everybody's favorite verse, right? Some people's life verse, Jeremiah 29. It's like, it's like the verse that people know from Jeremiah that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not plans for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So, that is, that, that's a great verse. But that's a verse to corporate Israel. Everybody who, in the context of this, the Lord is evicting his own people from their land, the land that he gave them. And he's sending them off to a pagan nation because they brought things into his temple that they shouldn't. They disobeyed the Lord. He gave them a call to repent. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't. And so, as a judgment... He, he takes a pagan nation to capture his own people and take them back enslaved and they'll live in exile. And so that's the context in which we get this verse. Um, and I heard from Justin Peters. If you've ever seen the movie American Gospel, which I want to commend to you guys, just, he's, in the, he's in that movie. Um, it's a documentary about the church called American Gospel. Please watch that. Um, fantastic. I got this from him. I'm gonna, this, is, I don't know, this is his observation from Scripture. I'm just going to use my words to talk about it. And he says about this verse, Does God have a great and wonderful plan for your life? Yes. Plans to prosper you? To give you a hope to future and a hope? Absolutely. The ultimate hope and the ultimate future. Um, but the plan for Israel here was that they be evicted to go off to a pagan land. That was the great and wonderful plan he had for the nation of Israel. The great and wonderful plan he had for Stephen's life was that he preached the gospel and be stoned to death. The great and wonderful plan that he had for the Apostle Paul, or for the Apostle Peter's life, is that he be crucified upside down in a death that glorified his God. The great and wonderful plan that he had for Paul that he be uh, the list is long for Paul. Go to Second Corinthians chapter uh, chapter ten, I think, eleven somewhere. In there. Uh, Paul's like I've been put in prison, shipwrecked a few times, bitten by a snake, stoned. Most people don't survive one stoning. Paul went through three. I've received thirty-nine lashings so many times. I bear the 
what it looks like to be a follower of Christ on my body, he tells the church. That was the, all the way to be faithful enough to be beheaded in Rome for his death. That was the great and wonderful plan that God had for Paul's life. Hmm. Now, and remember, he says John the Baptist is in prison and we know how he dies. That was God's plan for his life. That tells us some things about suffering, that it's a part of the Christian life. And Paul can say with the resume of things that he went through, that it's worth it. He can say, he can even call it light momentary affliction is what Paul's it, compared to the glory to come. Like, because gee, the reality of Christ in the heart of a believer in salvation being such a reality, you can take anything. I can take, it's worth it. To the, it's, he even calls it light. Like, if I got one lashing, I probably, that's, mm, like, one across the back, he had, he's, he had that happen to him, I think, three times. Three times he said, I got 39 lashings. People got 40, but that was against the law for a Roman citizens, so they did as much as they could. Um, left for dead, sleepless nights. He counted it all as, well, as worth it, and that's why we need to be holding on to the promises of God. Great promises like Leonard gave us today. Um, so it, it's, it's not a, a mean thing that Jesus did here. It's not an unsympathetic thing. It's not an unkind thing that Jesus would tell him this. He's actually encouraging John's heart. And just say, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And Jesus ends it with that. Mine says here, blessed is the man who does not fall away. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who remain. It's that abiding with. Jesus says, abide in me. We have such a short time here for forever. You know, we have such short sufferings here for forever without it. And so Christians are in no way spared the effects of living in a fallen world. Christians, and that's something the scripture is teaching, Christians get sick just like anybody else. Christians lose children just like anybody else. Divorce, sin against each other horribly, and get sinned against horribly. But we are not as if those who have no we are not like those who have no hope. Because we have the ability to endure. The early church, when they were on the outset, you look back at early, early church history, actually not even early, just like through the centuries up to now, what's happening in China now. Um, there are people who can take a lot, and we need to be a people who can take a lot. They have an understanding for suffering, of suffering that it's, it, 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 it's not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's, it's not the... We have something bigger than it to focus on that encourages us along the way. So Christians are called to be a people who suffer well because of the surpassing worth of seeing Christ. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began... So now Jesus turns to the crowd. He talks to the disciples, now he turns to the crowd... And he began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? Saying, this is what faithful looks, faithfulness looks like. It looks like John the Baptist. Um, he, John, well, we'll get into it. John, uh, did, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? He asked this three times. Here's the first one. A reed shaken by the wind, he asks. No, reeds don't get put in jail. There's nothing flimsy about, about, about John. Uh, in, in fact, our faith is to be so sturdy like that, that uh, <coughs> James 1, in the first part of the chapter, it says, We're not reeds swayed by the wind, shaken, waves tossing us to and fro. 
What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live, live in luxury are in king's courts. Where John lived. What was, uh, right now he's in a prison, but he lived in the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, everything from, like we said before, his food to his garb. He wore camel skins. He never cut his hair. He was looking pretty rough. Uh, and he lived pretty rough. He, only, he ate honey and locusts off the land. He never ate, he was never able to go to the market. God had him live in this certain way to make the declaration. Like he's completely antithetical to the world around him. Doesn't match at all. There's no place you can put John the Baptist where he's going to fit in any kind of society. Nowhere. He has no place except with God. And that's the whole point. He sticks out marvelously to announce, to do for his purpose of why. For his purpose. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. So John Kerry, in the, he, he was in the line of prophets, doing everything that classically a prophet did, was uh, speak a message, speak his message of, of the Lord to the people and call them to repentance. John did that. I have a question. Yes. Okay. So if I can wrap my mind around this. When you have Jesus that's going out and he's doing miracles and he's showing people what he can do through God and, and how he's doing all this stuff. And then you have people that suffer, but yet they still are faithful and they mm -hmm. go through the walk and they still believe in God and do that. So this basically, through these books, is when Jesus Christ was here after his death and his resurrection and everybody that's gone through that is a marketing tool to get people to see who God really is because if you can see this person that goes through all of this bad stuff here on earth and mm -hmm. still has faith in this God that our senses can't see, mm -hmm. then it, that he would place those people and those other people's lives for a marketing tool to be able to draw to him? Is that a good way? Um, I see it like, why would he put these people, why would he allow these people to go through this if it wasn't a gesture to get other people to follow Christ? Well, we see it points to Christ because Christ uh, suffered more than anybody. And so you bear Christ's likeness in that you point to him with your suffering because he who deserved to suffer least suffered most for us. And we who deserve to suffer in uh, the place that we deserve to suffer are spared so much suffering, an eternity of suffering, that we can bear it now. And so, yes, God will say, look at these people, look at how they suffer, and they're not broken. And look at what they're going through, and it's terrible, in some cases, and everybody's relative, to everybody has their own cross to bear. But it says something about our God. I use marketing tool. Um, just God sovereignly revealing himself in the midst of suffering, bearing every, and making the, also showing us in Christ that he suffered massively more than what we ever could bear, but would bear if he didn't suffer for us. Um, yes, it, it can call, God could use the suffering in someone's life to bring a witness onto that suffering to him. Because I think that if he didn't do that, okay, let's just say that that wasn't a part of the, the whole program, mm -hmm. then people that were not with Christ is suffering, and they would see it like there's no bridge to get over. But if you're a Christian and you suffer, which we do, mm -hmm. and we still have faith in the Lord, people then can ask the question, well, how can you still have faith in the Lord if you still suffer? You know what I mean? He yeah. still, he still, your child still died. He wasn't there. And we can still say, yes, he was there. You know what I mean? I think that's a drawbridge to get people. Yeah. That's why I call it a marketing tactic. Yeah. Well, what would I have gotten into if he wasn't there? What would I have, right. what would I have right. brought into my life in the midst of my suffering? Like, say, this is really, here's a first world example of suffering. I had a bad day. Now I really want a big chocolate milkshake. Okay? So now I want to justify right. making a poor decision because I've had it so bad. Okay? So... Now, I've had a bad day. 
don't need to go to some external thing to make myself feel better. Justifying sin, and Leonard had it up there. Um, there's nothing wrong with milkshakes, by the way. We're enjoying the big nothing ones. Wrong with <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's, yeah. Uh, to the glory of God, I slip it up. Um, I lost my train of thought. No, uh, but we are unique in that we have something, we don't need to like have crutches or vices to get through things in our addictions. Like, oh man, I could really use a cigarette. You know, I've had a rough day. I really could use that nightcap. That's, or whatever it is. Uh, we have a way clear to have actual help in the midst of suffering. And we make that way known to people because we're so satisfied by it. We long to see them satisfied by it. So, however he reaches out through... Rich, if I, if I could also yeah. comment a little bit. Um, our, our culture, especially because it's so dependent on, because healthcare is such a huge industry right now, our culture really has a message that says suffering is evil and bad, and you have the right not to suffer, and we will help you not suffer. It's basically trying to do everything it can to tell us that suffering has no value whatsoever. creates this whole fixation about suffering in a way that we can't process it as a believer in a healthy way. So when believers suffer and they're not well-grounded, they'll find modes of escapism. Okay? And I'm just kind of speaking pastorally. When believers realize that escapism doesn't provide any more answers, but it actually complicates things even more, Sometimes they pivot and they lean on God in their suffering and then what happens is something dramatic and that is God enables them to endure in ways that they find joy and peace that they could never find any other way. I take that to mean because I, I don't think God is the source of suffering. Right. I think it's God's way of saying to the evil one suffering is not So in suffering, you find God actually leverages what was designed for ill intent for good. Because a lot of people, when they go through suffering, they're like, I'm stronger in my faith than I've ever been. Yeah, and you know what I'm saying? Right. Suffering then becomes not such a bad word. And, it's, uh, and while you don't ask for it, no, you when it comes, like you don't. You don't suffer to be faithful, but you're faithful and you suffer. Yeah, it comes in all forms, and, and, and there's no there's no respect for persons, and there's no like everybody gets a certain percentage yeah, yeah. of suffering. It's just that it just varies, yeah. and, and 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 we don't understand that. But when it happens, what we have to what we have to do, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of speaking out about this. We have to say in your suffering, don't turn to escapist things. Don't trust things that are. So do you feel that when God uses John the Baptist and he uses all the other like disciples and all their suffering, he intensifies that to show us that they've gone through the wilderness, this is how they got out, they had faith in me, and they went through the entire process. It's more for Christians than it is for worldly people. Yeah. Is that because, what you're, because, yeah, because the worldly people aren't going to understand that at, the, at that point. Yeah, because they have no connection with God. So I had that backwards. God. It's marketing to us. It's marketing to us. <laughs> Not to them. Okay, yes. God. Yeah, the devil's got his own marketing, but God's got his own brand of marketing to us. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's important. But if you really, like, um, in the history of the church, you know, Romans, or Hebrews 11, right, talks about the... The greatest hit of faith, yeah. Yeah, and towards the end, it gets pretty dark. But those guys endured. Then there's a book called Fox's Book of and that's the story of people that are martyred later on. And what you'll see a lot of times is a pattern of people going through pretty severe 
something going on where God's sort of protecting them from the scene. And, and you'll hear that that over and over as well. That's pretty dramatic, and hopefully that doesn't even remotely come our way. But it's a way of saying that suffering doesn't have the last word and, when it's happening. And, and suffering, suffering in a godly way is not necessarily an evil thing. God uses it. Like he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He'll use it to sanctify you. Like the things that sanctify us, we would have never chosen for ourselves. And so, <laughs> and when, and then you see your suffering, it's not this big thing you start trying to avoid. If it comes, like Spurgeon said, uh, he said, I've learned to kiss the rock, or kiss the wave that throws me against the rocks because it's brought me closer to my Lord. Sometimes which I think also enables Christians to help other people. Absolutely, gone through, yeah. You've gone through this terrible thing with maybe a child in drugs or whatever. Yeah, you can yeah. empathize and maybe help. Suffering gives us a depth of having a capacity to help others that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, and the shovel hitting the ground doesn't feel good for the ground. The ground feels Yeah. Uh, doubt, doubt works two ways. You've got the self-righteous if they don't get what they want, they throw God out the, like, with the bathwater or whatever. Yeah. Christ came to the poor and to the needy. Yeah. He didn't come to the righteous now because they didn't need salvation. They think they're already saved. Yeah. So the other doubt is I doubt because I'm a sinner. And there's a lot of people that are much better a Christian than I am. And I doubt sometimes my salvation because I'm a sinner and, I, and I'm not talking the murder and the adultery and all this other stuff. I'm talking about the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives me even on the small things. Yeah. And I'm saying, how come I keep doing this? Why is it that way? Now, Preach. that's where my doubt comes in. Yeah. Not because I didn't get that 80-inch TV. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's a health and wealth gospel. Yeah, yeah. And we think that the rich is in God's, we're in God's blessing. Christ no. came, and he came like the poor, and that's why uh, the, the, the people in that day that were in the, in the, you know, with Herod, they had it all. Yeah. They looked at John the Baptist like, man, you're going to tell me how to live? And Christ is telling us how to live without all the, yeah. all the good stuff that in life that the world offers. So there's two doubts. Some people don't get that paycheck that came in or their, you know, whatever. And then some of them believe that they're doubt because they're still a sinner and we're not we're not sick, we're not there yet. And yeah. and so that's where I believe the two doubts. I've told I've told Larry this before. Probably one of the scriptures I use most is Lord I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. We fight it all the time in this world. Yeah. I think we will till we die. Absolutely. Our deathbed. Yeah. We'll I mean, be laying there thinking, Am I really going? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and God knows what it takes. Thomas doubted, you know, the man who was healed doubted. And then he saw the healing. But it becomes worse. says he's, he's rising up into heaven, yeah. and the heavens are opened, and, all, yeah. and it says, and some doubted. Yeah. <laughs> we got the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it gives us a lot of hope, actually, when people these start. These are sins we don't think about. But yeah. we think of sin as, like Joe said, adultery, murder, greed, whatever. But doubt, we Yeah, I, we, we're pretty quick to feel our own fears about that, that one circumstances. Kiss the wave that throw me to the rock. I like that one. That, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, that's Spurgeon. Yeah. yeah, that's that's been a comfort to me because as as when you're a Christian, you go from seeing this much before you're in Christ, and then he blows the ends off the spectrums, and so you have more joy than you ever did before. 
and you also have more suffering than you could ever have before. But the good news is Jesus suffered more than us, so we wouldn't have to suffer forever. I mean, maybe this is a weird way to look at it, but without suffering, what are we going to be looking for a God? Or, I mean, yeah. If life was great, we got nothing wrong. I mean, God knows what it takes for us to be. We would almost be God-like in ourselves, and we really wouldn't. Yeah, if everything's just wrong. Yeah, and that's why the, the one of the I think it's Ecclesiastes 7, 2, somewhere in there, 6, 2, somewhere. It says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. That's right. And, and Not the morning. Because, yeah, yeah. And because when things are flowing and everybody's partying, everything's all right, you're not considering those deeper things. You're living the shallow existence of everything's all right and, you know, turn up the girls just want to have fun. Who needs Put the top down and go. And, like, but you're, you're asking those deep questions at a funeral. You're considering those deep realities that you would not have otherwise. Rich, if I could add yeah. something to that, um, kind of pastorally again, whenever uh, somebody, like you're praying for somebody to get to know the Lord, and then, or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're at a very basic level and, and you want to see them grow. I have prayed for guy that's doing everything awesome and thank you God sweet you got a new car his family's going well his kids are in line but on and on and then the guy over here who's on the ground suffering he's sick that's the one the Lord's working in um, well I don't know but well, <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah like in coming I'm reading the word and it's just making me feel terrible it's not working yeah it is keep reading that's keep going you know that 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 word uh, slump mystified that I made every day yeah. while back. Um, you know the the other usage of that I don't know if I mentioned it um, is in the uh, the story of the um, uh, the Good Samaritan. How the, how yeah. the Samaritan had the vows of compassion for mm -hmm. the guy on the side of the road, mm -hmm. and I think Luke is very selective. We'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about suffering as we go through this book, so let's go through these last couple of verses and thank him for them. A prophet? Yes. And I tell you more than a prophet. A prophet says he's coming, he's coming. John said he's here. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He put a ring in front of us who will prepare your way. Okay, so Grant, uh, and I tell you among those born of women, he is the great, uh, none is greater than John. So, yeah, he honors John, but it's still all about him. It's still all about God's plan and God's glory. And, you know, it, is it bad news that John's going to die? No. Um, Remember, he must increase, I must decrease. He's faithful unto decreasing to the point of decreasing all the way. Death. But, this is where Philippians 1.21 comes in. To live is Christ. To die, gain. John is gaining from his death. He's shedding off this mortal coil, as we put it. And he's, he gets to be with God 
always and forever in a place with no possibility of sin, no possibility of suffering, as when it said, uh, I will wipe away every tear. If you go to that verse in your Bible in Revelation, he removes the possibility of evil, suffering, and sin always. That's a pretty awesome verse. Yet, one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. We're going to spend just a moment on that verse. He, all right. John had what he had of the gospel up to this point. We number, have greater resources in that we have the full gospel. John has pre-cross faith. He has faith in the gospel up to what it is up to this point. We have the full gospel. We have cross, death, resurrection, and the permanent Holy Spirit. So we have greater resources than John the Baptist did. Think about that. Let that be a spur in your life. Anyway. Um, and then Luke uh, narrates for a moment. Um, interjects into his words, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, <laughs> he has them in there, and, and also these guys, and they declared God just, having been baptism with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawmakers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. It's devastating. Not only having been, and not having been baptized with him. And so Jesus says, there's people who pick up on this, who know their need, who have a uh, Maybe by a certain amount of suffering because of their sin in their flesh, whatever it may be. They're, they had a better idea of reality because of their suffering instead of having a good morality doesn't give you a good reality. Not if you miss the very one that you've always you made your job being a Pharisee talking about your entire life. What I like about that verse is Verse 29 is the people that really believe now in God's way of righteousness. Mm -hmm. The rich people are trying, or the self righteous people thinking they're actually earning heaven by being self righteous. And we don't need our self righteousness, we need Christ's righteousness. Yeah. And who do you think believed in it? It was the poor folks. The one who had absolute knowledge that, that had it. no righteousness. Yeah, and I thought that was great. Yeah. That, that knowledge of that self was. that we read about Zwingli from Zwingli, Zwingli yeah. last week, if you remember yeah. that, we come to a knowledge of ourselves and we tremble before God and yeah. we fear his justice. And um, But then comes his mercy. They never came to that knowledge of self. Their knowledge of self was undeserving. Not, they had no knowledge or acceptance of their own need. To what then, and Jesus talks about that, he talks about human indifference now. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? The people of the generation that had the Messiah come. Because they have the same thing about our generation. We have the same gospel to believe in that they need. And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. No father, just children, golden flies. I like the, the image of a marketplace. In this world, you have a marketplace of ideas. Religions has all its stands all around. There's philosophies, governments, politics, um, every idea that comes up against the knowledge. And so you have one stand, and it's the only one with the lights on, and that's Christianity. It's the only one with power, the only one that God is in. That's the place we go in the market. The good news is the, the marketer comes out of his stand and comes and gets us out of all those different places that we hang out at. And he says this, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. We had good news for you and you, did, you weren't celebrated. You, you weren't celebrating, you weren't excited. And he says, and we sang a dirge, which is a sad song, and you did not weep. So we told you good news and you weren't excited. We told you bad news and you didn't lament, you didn't repent. You weren't humbled. For John the Baptist has come eating bread and drinking wine, 
or uh, eating no bread and drinking no wine, remember his diet and just how he lived. That's how he always lived. And you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. So anything that doesn't align with what they think the plan of God should look like as they talk to the people, and then to see this Jesus preaching the true way, enemy, right off the bat. That's how they look at him, he's evil. Call what they don't agree with, evil. That's legalism at its finest. Friends of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, we'll end here, is justified by her all her children. In a way, he's kind of calling all of them foolish. You can go to you can go to Proverbs eight and read that chapter where wisdom is personified as a woman. And Jesus uses the same trail here. Uh, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The Pharisees, who were teachers of God's word and all wisdom, were in fact not children of it. And it is true wisdom to latch on when wisdom is speaking, and that's Jesus personified. He provides the justification. And so that's what that ends our text for today. I don't have some <laughs> ending statement other than that we talked about some good things, and part of church leadership is to prepare its people for suffering. You see Jesus writing to the churches in Revelation. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Um, we have to live in a sinful world. We don't have to partake in sin, but we're going to be affected by it. We still have sin in ourselves. We have the residue of it. In our, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have we have help. still has a little bit of life in it, and it will until then, and it'll seem strong sometimes, but it's very scrawny and can in no way stand. And so we constantly need to our prayer life to grow. Don't have a small view of prayer. We get, we, you're like, man, all they do is tell us to pray through their Bibles. Huh? Isn't that good, though? <laughs> do you want a big list of stuff to do? <laughs> uh, prayer, scripture, each other. Don't you want it to be simple like that? Not that it's simple, but like, don't you, those are the, that, there's more depth that you could walk into, but from those three things than any other thing you'll find in any other marketplace and stand of ideas. Talk to him, you'll grow in these as you do them more and suffer through them. Well, that's what God yeah. wants. He yeah. wants to have this open communication and tell him, talk with him. Yeah. Just like he is talking to you. That's what he wants. Yeah. It did. What did Jesus, I mean, Jesus is living scripture. He is the word, he is truth. Everything he says is scripture. But how does he encourage John? Goes to Isaiah. Before Christ left, yeah. he told his apostles he was going to send the helper. And that's the Holy Spirit. And it's, believe it or not, it's, fact, it's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't say. True, yeah. Uh, the Holy Spirit is what convicts and shatters our indifference and our self-reliance. A lot of our suffering, especially uh, in Western culture, is going to have to do, it's God doing battle with our self-reliance. Always. Because these people, the poor in Scripture, as we were talking about, it was a lot easier. Well, I don't want to say easier, but it was Christ, Christ was brighter to them because they were a lot more well acquainted with suffering. A lot of them bought for us through God's grace in our nation are things that well, they're good to have. You know, it, 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 they're harder to shake us from. We're not so well acquainted with suffering. We, are, we, we, we go to great lengths to avoid That's, that's what we got for today. Next week, uh, we'll keep moving. So, all right. Okay, Father, thank you for how you.
sovereign work in your word. Thank you that the scriptures are perfect. They come from a perfect God. And also, Jesus, you said of the Holy Spirit that he'll remind us of everything that you taught. So help us to put the things that you taught by prayer and seeking, because you said, seeking you will find. Seeking your face in scripture. Help us to read until, not read, but seek in your word through, through prayer and scripture. Just seek you until we find you more satisfied in you. Not just have these surface encounters with you and your words we check the box off, but help us to read until you, and seek until we find so that and we just keep importing your word and you of us so that you have those things that give us strength in the moment that you call us to be active in in regards to obedience in regards to encouragement and suffering in regards to giving just meditating on wisdom that is good for us to be just in our very bones and administer to one another and just to glorify our God with first and foremost May we be a people of the book. Opening it to find you and be you and closing it for the sake of obeying you. Loving you in, in relationship with our insignificant.